Welcome back to Swimming with the Fishes. This podcast is intended for mature audiences only, as we might discuss topics like sex, drugs, or use mature language, and some topics might not be discussed in a way that is safe for all audiences. Today's episode also comes with a bit of a trigger warning for essay, which is sexual assault, as well as suicide. Today's topic is me. It's my story. It's a bit about my life. I've wanted to do something like this for quite a while, um, but I think I was honestly afraid to. But you'll see why I did it today in a bit. Um, so without further ado, here is episode four of Swimming with the Fishes, featuring me and only me. Hey everybody, how are you doing? How's everything going? How are your lives? Mine has been fine, though I've been feeling a bit rough. Uh, this episode is going to be a solo episode. To be honest, I have sat here and been crying a lot today. I tried to go do a bunch of things that I normally can do to boost myself back up so I can get through a day uh, when I have days like today, and none of it's working. I tried writing, and instead I picked apart my own poetry, which I don't really often do. I tried going by the ocean, which typically cheers me up and stare at the clouds. I tried to sleep it off. I tried to shower. I tried to sing. I tried to rationalize with myself. And you know, today is one of the days where I have not been able to successfully bring myself up from how I'm feeling or down from the mental spiral going on. And I decided that I have this. I have this art form of a podcast, though it's not where I guess I wanted it to be thus far, but I will keep trying. So I thought about, what if I just talked? What if I just talked it out with myself, kind of, and then I guess with an audience, um, instead of, I don't know, doing any of those other things that don't seem to be working today? Because why the fuck not? I haven't tried this yet. And I hope that maybe anybody listens to this and doesn't feel so alone, or feels like they can get through it, or I don't really know. This is mostly for myself, to be honest. <laughs> it's mostly to see if I can make myself feel better just by getting this out. But I've, I've had so much weighing heavily on me. Um, so this will be a bit of a life update, as well as a just a deep dive into who I am, because while a lot of people who listen to this podcast have known me for a long time, and have probably heard a lot of stories, or maybe even heard the way I feel, I've have a lot on my head, so I really want to get it out. Uh, First, I do apologize that there has not been more podcast episodes, and also thank you for anybody who's listened and given such amazing feedback. I am so grateful. But life, you know, both good and bad. I've had a lot of (sighs) really wonderful things happen. Like, I have one of the most incredible partners if not the most incredible partner in the world. And we've had so much wonderful time together and we've gone to some awesome concerts. I am really happy for the first time in a relationship and I'm actually respected and I feel loved for who I am. (laughs) And it's really magical. Uh, There will be a lot of crying in this episode, on my behalf at least, so uh, be prepared. But yeah, they are... A divine and magical being who I am beyond honored to to know and to be with and to explore love with 
Um, and they've been teaching me a lot. And I <laughs> can't say enough good about them. I think they are the most beautiful, wonderful thing. And it's awesome. For those of you who don't know, I am polyamorous. So it's really interesting because it feels like we both get to, or like, you know what, let me speak for them, but I get to be myself fully. Like, I dress how I want, I act how I want, I speak about what I want, and they support me. And I, for once, don't feel like a burden when I talk about my feelings to somebody, or I don't feel like, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's we joke about it all the time that there's not the right words for how we feel because it's so profound. It's such a, a, a beautiful, deep feeling of love and support and acceptance of who I am and who they are. And I really wish I knew more languages to be able to describe it or knew more of uh, the English language or made up different words. I don't know, but I, I wish there was better ways to describe it, but I think you get the point. I also am in a really great place with my family. Um, my mom and my sister, actually met them and that was really cool and it went well which is one of the things I think I've been afraid of for a really long time and not because my mom or family well not my mom and my sister anyway are not homophobic but are transphobic or anything but just of the tumultuous relationship I have had with my mother though it is in a much better place now and I am very grateful for that. I've also been working at this new job for about two months and it's weirdly a source of great distress for me. Not in the way that uh, Starbucks was, and I do promise I will get you guys a Starbucks episode of all the tea, uh, or working at my prior job at the apothecary was. Um, those were all painful for very different and specific reasons. This job is fine. There's really nothing like on paper. I think if anybody else had this job, they would look at me and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you for being so, or maybe that's just me projecting and thinking people will like minimize my pain um because I do that to myself or other people have done this to me in the past but there's nothing wrong with my job I like it I like the people that I work with for the most part um but I have been on this journey of finding myself and being myself more and more since forever and the more I dive into who I am and figure out who I want to, to be and how I want to present the more I realize that the workforce is like not built for people like us, no matter how inclusive a company claims to be, such as Starbucks, or as middle ground or just simple, whatever it is, it's frustrating because queerness is in everything. It has been from the dawn of fucking human beings, and it will be until we are all gone and dead. And probably even after. But at, at, at the same time, while we are present in everything, we are not welcomed in everything. We can be exploited for our skills, our talents, our culture, our labor, but we cannot be ourselves. They only want to exploit us even when we fit the mold. And while I'm sure some people can relate to it being 
painful that you can't be yourself. Like I think about how black people for years couldn't even wear hairstyles that were natural or protective to their hair and in a lot of places still can't. I think about how, you know, there's a lot of people who are indigenous that have tattoos that are representative of their culture that might not be able to get a job because of that. I think about how there are still places in this fucking country where you are trans or queer and if you wear something that is outside of that, you can be fucking fired. They've literally passed laws recently where you just can't be a trans person or a queer person on the street. They're trying to pass laws where if you wear an article of clothing that is opposite, quote unquote, your assigned birth sex or gender, whatever fucking term that they're using in those laws, you it's illegal. So it though clothing quite literally has no gender and people of all genders used to wear skirts and heels and whatever all of a sudden it's now a fucking problem and so while i would love to simply find a job in which i could be myself there aren't many <laughs> there aren't many places for someone like me to go and i have plenty of privilege still even in being trans non-binary and queer uh yet I, and I can only, like, I can only imagine how it feels for a black trans woman, for example, uh, right now. But I want it to be better for all of us. And it's insane to me that we're in 2023 and shit like this is going down. I wish that I could work somewhere. That I could show up in a skirt and it's okay. I wish that there was a place that I could work where I could be myself and present as a just queer person instead of having to mask or code switch into the gay white man that the world wants to see me as. And it hurts. It hurts my soul. It hurts me physically. Some days it makes it really incredibly difficult to get out of bed. And um, recently I've decided to be sober for a bit because I was using weed, which I know a lot of people go, well, you're sober from weed, huh? like, or, I don't know, maybe that's just, again, my own, I think as I talk, I realized how much I judge myself, actually, uh, which is not good, and I will be bringing that to therapy, but, yeah, I've decided to be sober recently, because I, after Starbucks, I started smoking, well, actually, while at Starbucks, I started smoking a lot just to cope with the amounts of stress that I was under, and then I started smoking while I was at the, like, I, I was off for a couple of months, so I was smoking just because I had time, and then I worked at the apothecary, and I was smoking again because of the stress that I was under, and then I got this new job, so I stopped smoking as much, but I was still smoking every day, and I just felt like I wasn't present. I felt like I wasn't coherent. I felt like I was waking up every day. And, like, was just so tired because it was high the night before, and then I would wake up at 8 in the morning, go outside, smoke to start my day, and etc. And I was like, you know what? A, this cost me a whole fuck ton of money in, in this economy. Being a pothead is not uh, economically sound. But also, I wanted to be present. And while I, for example, went to a concert with my partner on Sunday and we saw Hayes Coyote, who was fucking awesome, 
And I felt like I had been to a concert for the first time in a really long time, and it felt so incredible, even though I wasn't high or on mushrooms or anything like that. The other side of it is feeling like how I feel today, which is the immense pain and the burden of being who I am with the trauma that I've had and being a trans non-binary person in today's society where I open social media and the first thing I met with is all the things that the world hates about me or that they don't want us to exist or all the laws being passed or even other people in our fucking community who are trying to throw us under the bus just so they could be picked. There's this fucking bitch who's no longer on TikTok and she's a trans woman talking about how, adding to the conversation of how we're grooming children, how we're, you know, uh, uh, mutilating children, which by the way, in case you don't know, in all, like uh, almost all cases, you cannot get gender reassignment surgery like before you're 18. Um, typically, it's just hormone blockers and therapy and allowing you to just dress how you want to dress. Um, so all this bullshit about us mutilating children just fucking doesn't exist. Doctors wouldn't do that. Like, there's, it's so insane that they just... I'm not even a logical person. I lead with feelings, but holy fuck have they thrown logic out the window here. And to top it all off, we have people in our own community going against us. Talking about... I saw a trans woman tweet the other day about how she's not a real woman. She's just a man in women's clothing and with tits. And I was like, then just say you're a fucking crossdresser and leave the rest of us alone. Well, I'm sure she is a trans woman and this is just the shitty things that she's been taught in her own internalized transphobia. It's insane. There's another woman on TikTok who is, or I guess she's off TikTok now, but posting on other social media about how she's a trans woman and she doesn't think non-binary people are real. And the only thing that I can think about is, weirdly enough, slavery. And I think back to how slave owners had the quote-unquote good slaves who would rat out all the other slaves and, you know, give them the tea on what's going on while, you know, they were running their plantations. And I really would love for these people to look up how those slaves were treated and what happened to them in the end, because it was just as horrific it didn't save them. It didn't save anybody. It was just a way for white supremacy to remain in power, white Christian nationalism, whatever the fuck title we want to put on it, for that to remain in power. It was used to divide us. And it's insane to me that we have all of this history of how many times this happened in Germany, in all of slavery that happened, in the with the Crusades, with we can keep going on and on and on in all the ways that white Christians have literally killed thousands of people and oppressed people and used them against each other, but there's still trans women on fucking TikTok talking about how people like me aren't real and how we don't exist. And I've never seen bigger pick-me energy. Like, I get it. You weren't picked for the kickball team, but neither was I, and I'm not here throwing other people in my community under the bus. So that infuriates the fuck out of me. Now, that being layered with trying to find a job in which I feel safe and secure to be myself and might actually even work with other queer or trans people is unreal, because if I find something, it doesn't pay enough for me to live, and if I find something that does pay me enough to live for the skills that I have... I can't be me. So you want to buy parts of me, and I'm really sick of that. I would like that if you're going to, at the very least, explore, exploit me for my labor, buy all of me, not just half of me.
not gonna lie, this feels pretty good. <laughs> feels very good to get this out. And for a lot of my friends who hear this, they, this is nothing new. I've been talking about this for what feels like my whole life, but it feels really good to kind of get this out with and with myself, to myself. I've also been hurting because of a lot of my trauma. And I think, A, first and foremost, social media has fucked up the mental health field more, which is sad because I felt like it could have been such a great tool. And I'm sure in some ways it helps a lot of people. But for me, it, it often sends me down this like spiral of, am I more broken than I think I am and whatever. And I think I've settled on and, and outside of however I feel in a moment, I'm not broken. And I'll say this, I was gonna say but, but I don't wanna say but because they're not separate thoughts. <laughs> I'm not broken, and at the same time, I have been beaten to hell and back. I've seen TikToks and memes and, and reels on Instagram or whatever and jokes about, you ever tell a story to a friend and you're like, haha, it's so funny, and their face is like concerned, and their response is, oh my god, I'm so sorry that happened to you, when in reality you were just trying to tell a funny, lighthearted story, because um, that has happened too many times. <laughs> to me, where I have shared stories from my childhood or even post-childhood, even in my early 20s, where I thought that it was a normal experience. And I've come to the conclusion that my life fucking sucked. <laughs> my partner even joked one time after sharing a lot of what happened in my life that I have the same backstory as a lot of serial killers or murderers on true crime podcasts. And I think that that really stuck with me for a second because yeah, yeah, my life was not good. I'm not going to say I did not have good moments. I'm not going to say that I did not have happy moments and did not meet kind people and friends and whatever, but I think I lied to myself. Well, first I was lied to. I was told by family and people, whatever, that this is normal. And it wasn't. It wasn't normal. And it shouldn't be normal, even if it was. But I then lied to myself in order to feel better about it. I, I feel like when I was younger, I couldn't admit to myself the pain that I had experienced because then it was real. And that was really shitty. And as I've gone through therapy the past couple of years, I've really talked through a lot and it still hurts. Like no matter how much I heal and how much therapy I go to, I would love, love for me to get to a point later in my life where I go, wow, this isn't affecting me anymore. Because quite frankly, it infuriates me. There are days that I am angry at the fucking world and myself because I can still feel the, the touch and the effect of the people that hurt me when they're not even in my lives anymore, or I've moved on from it, or I have grown from whatever has happened. And it, it sucks. I wish that I didn't still have the effects, like my anxiety and depression that come from being hurt by people who are supposed to be helped by by people who I was supposed to be nurtured by, people that were trusted. And instead I was treated how I was treated. And 
my family is a big source of that. And while with like my mom and some of my aunts, I'm in a much better place, I've stopped talking to a lot of my family. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of them don't know why. <laughs> but, or maybe they do, and they're, if they figure that out. But um, for my own safety, for my own comfort, I have stopped going to a lot of family events. I have stopped communicating with most of them. And uh, it sucks, because it would be nice to have that level of support that I thought I would have had. Uh, but instead I built a different family. And then even in that, I had people who I thought my friends who were super fucking shitty and who <sighs> weren't friends. Like I came to the realization that I never really had friends. When I was younger, like elementary school, I had people that wanted to be friends, but my home was such an uncomfortable place that I was never I don't want to say it was allowed, right? Like my mom let me have people over, but because of how she treated me and how the environment felt, I never wanted to bring anybody over. So as a kid, when you're supposed to be developing relationships and learning about that, I wasn't. I I was already being bullied for being gay in elementary school, which is unreal to me. Um, but I wasn't experiencing the other things that kids were as well. Like I didn't have friends. I would go home and I would play with myself more often than not. Then we get to junior high and again, just more bullying. I even tried to date girls who I actually did. I was actually very interested in them and I, I still to this day have been able to be attracted to women, but people just see me as one dimensional and that's their problem these days more than it is mine um but i did i had genuine crushes on women and instead i got met with more about how gay i am uh and i had people that i hung out with and i'm sure that some of them liked me as a person but i always felt like the the showpiece i look back on all of it now and i realized that i was kind of just like the clown for the group like i was just there for entertainment more than I was there for anything else. I were just there because I was a kind person. Um, I think a good way to talk about my life is to break it down into parts. So otherwise it's going to just be really rambly and a lot of tangents of stories connected to each other very loosely but don't make a lot of sense from the outside perspective. First and foremost, I don't remember most of my life. <laughs> uh, I sat down and I tried to think about certain ages and times and things, and it kind of just all feels like a, how I just said, a really random string of events that happened that led me to be who I am today. Uh, there's a lot of memories that I have that are gone because of trauma and probably because of smoking, if we're being honest. But I am currently in a place where I'm trying to regain that. So let's break down my life in um, three sections. Ages 0 to 17, 17 to like 23, and 23 to I would say 27. And then from now, from 27 forward is all its own kind of separate journeys. So from 0 to 17, I experienced insane amounts of trauma and terrible things that no child should ever have to deal with. Um, my parents got divorced when I was 2. My 
the last time I saw my father was my biological father was when I was four. My mom then dated people who I quite frankly despised, and I don't think I ever really admitted that to her, but you know, a little kid trying to find a daddy figure. So that was cool. We lived in this house in West Babylon uh, where we were in the basement and my mom was a single mom who worked insane hours. So I didn't really get to see her a lot. Uh, and then we had my aunt and uncle who were above me who at the time were like the picture perfect idea of a relationship, though obviously I didn't know what was going on behind closed doors as a child. And then above them, I had my aunt and my uncle and my cousin who lived above them. Uh, I remember... This is where my memory being fucked up sucks because I don't remember the exact order in which things happened. But from ages four to six, my mom's father, my grandfather, passed away. My uncle who lived on the top floor, my great uncle, had passed away. And my great grandmother, who had also lived with us at the time, um, or at least she did before she got put into a nursing home or the hospital, hospice, whatever, uh, passed away. And my family thought it'd be a good idea for me to go to all of those funerals and experience death so young. Which, in one way, I'm grateful for because I'm a lot more comfortable with the idea now. But at the same time, it definitely fucked me up quite a bit. So, I think my great-grandmother was the least traumatic. But it, it sucked because I really liked her. Um, she always referred to me as a beautiful butterfly. And it was really sweet. And she was one of like the only people, I think, in my family at the time that... Well, I've heard stories of who she was outside of me, um, just always made me feel like loved and supported as I was, because I used to be the kid that played with dolls and, and was obsessed with Bernie Spears, and I was pretty much a faggot from birth, so um, she was really cool, because she made me feel loved and beautiful, even when everybody else was making fun of me for having a big butt as a kid, which is such a surreal thing, or doing really weird shit. Um, and then I remember when my grandfather died because I just, all I remember is my mom talking to me about how I'm her rock and how she wouldn't be able to get through this without me. And I think some people hear that and like, that's so sweet, but I'm like, you're the parent, <laughs> you're the adult. Why am I the child getting the emotional burden? Um, and boy, did she cling on after that as if I was literally the only thing she had in her life. And <sighs> that put a lot on me. And really fucked me up a bit. Because I very clearly remember her talking to me, like, in the car or the limo to the funeral. And just being like, I'm the only thing she has left, and I'm her everything. And that's a that's a burden a child should not have to bear. That's a weight that my body and brain were not equipped for. But I think the most fucked up one was my uncle, my great uncle passing. I found out by being woken up to my aunt and my mom and my great aunt, who was his wife, screaming in the early morning. I can't even tell you what time of day it was, but just them screaming and crying and pleading for nobody else to die. And I didn't really know what had happened, but it turns out he was killed by a drunk driver and never made it home. And now, his was particularly hard because he really loved me. Like, he took me under his wing and he treated me like a father, treated their son like a healthy father, treated their son. Um, and I was really close with him and he was a really wonderful person from what I remember. And it sucked. 
because now yet another father father figure was gone <laughs> um and hearing I like I can still hear my family screaming and it's it's heartbreaking they've all think I think have healed from that and I definitely have as well but it it, it was hard I didn't know how to process it as a child and I still don't fully like understand what happened to me in that moment now but I know it hurt um at the same time and this is going to be a uh essay warning trigger warning for people at this point in the story but at the same time I was being sexually assaulted at the age of like four or five till I was like six or seven by one of my family members and this is something that I've talked about to friends, but I've not really talked about on here or with family at all. Um, out of a lot of reasons, out of fear, out of anger, because when I was younger, I think I even, I remember a time where I tried to talk to somebody about it, not directly, and nothing got done. And this person was still allowed to be around me and continued to have time with me um, in which they could do the things that they were doing. And I was writing today actually about that. And this is where a lot of my frustration at myself came in today because I was writing and I, I wrote a line about how I was praised as a kid for being so smart, for being so strong, for being so many wonderful things. Um, and while straight side, side note for a second, it's fucked up. Please do not praise your children for being strong in tough situations. Please do not like, you know, it's great to encourage your child to do the things that they love and support them. But like no child should have to be strong. They should be children. I didn't want to be strong. I wanted to be a kid. I wanted to be loved and I wanted to be supported, but instead I was strong. So here I am today. But anyway, uh, I was writing and I was writing about how, how could I have been so smart if I let you convince me that that's what I wanted? Because speaking of grooming, lol, that person convinced me that that's what I wanted, but I was a child, so how the fuck would I know better? And then uh, after that, as I went into elementary school, um, like there was a time where I got caught by a teacher showing, you know, our genitals to each other with another boy in school. Or, like, there was a person who I was, like, friends with up the block, whatever, and me and another kid were like, take your pants off. Like, things that I then thought were normal as a child because I was told that they were. And they very clearly weren't. So then not only did I allow them to convince me that I wanted that, it allowed me to convince other people that this was okay and normal. Like in high school, I was kind of predatory towards straight people, like straight guys in school, um, in the same way that they are to women and that we make fun of them for. And while that does not mean I should have deserved any of the homophobia that I got <laughs> in high school, all of that stemmed from being sexually assaulted as a child, and I, I regret a lot of decisions I made because of thinking that these things were normal and okay. 
And so I'm even still to this day just like, I'm not angry at young me because he couldn't have known better. But again, I'm angry because I feel like I can still feel the impact and the touch of this person. I still feel like they have a hold over me, no matter how much therapy that I go to um, or how much I talk about it. I still feel like they have an impact on my life and have had an impact on my life for longer than I really would have liked. So then after everybody passed away and I was being assaulted, my mom then met my stepdad, who, if it wasn't for him, I would not have my little sister, who I love very dearly. Uh, but at the same time, he was another source of trauma because they would fight. Uh, we eventually moved in with them and they got married, etc. And at first it was really nice because I was like, well, look, a dad that I never had. And then he's kind of a bigot. So I was hearing racism and homophobia and I grew up with a very diverse family. So that was kind of a new ideology. Um, and like... It pushed for me so hard to be a boy's boy and play sports and all these other things and yeah it, it it was good at first in theory and then eventually it just turned into them fighting all the time and and me hiding in my room because then once they fought then they would both be shitty towards me and it was just this vicious cycle of abuse towards each other and towards me and then my little sister was born and well, actually, first my little cousin Gia was born, who I miss very dearly and I love very dearly. Um, and when she was born, then Sophia was born. And now there was two little kids when I was the only child. And I was kind of weirdly put on this pedestal until then because I was like the first born boy into the family line. Um, LOL, guys, so sorry for not being that anymore. But um, yeah, I was put on a pedestal for a really long time and had all this attention and everybody like paraded me around as like a prince while at the same time being a huge source of abuse and and traumatic things for me so it was like a really weird experience which is where I think a lot of you know hearing them fight and the things that my family said to each other and said to me as a child felt normal and felt okay because then I was being highly praised on the other end of it um, so then Gia was born and my sister were born and it felt like I had lost all attention almost. I had like only child syndrome. It was, it was really weird. And I was kind of shitty to Sophia as a kid. And I talked about it with her the other day and she said she doesn't remember it, which I'm grateful for. But at the same time, like I haven't even forgiven myself for the way that I treated her, even though I was also a kid. So I guess I should. Um, and then... Yeah, so my mom was physically abusive as a child quite a bit. Um, something else I write about often, which I, I recognized today, is that there was like a moment where I was young and I dropped coffee that she had on the table on a carpet and I got severely beaten for that. And my mom's response to a lot of things were just to hit me because she got hit and she didn't know better. My grandmother, unfortunately, was a not-so-wonderful mother to her kids as well and you know generational trauma etc so I got treated how she thought was okay and oftentimes I was told well at least I don't treat you the way my mother treated me and I was like mm. looking back on it I think that it might have been a closer image to her mother than she would have liked but hey we've grown from that now 
but yeah, so uh, recap, sexual assault, everybody dying, and uh, physically abused as well as mentally and emotionally abused and bullied by my family for my weight when I was a kid and how I looked as a kid and didn't, couldn't feel like I could come out to them. So then let's go to junior high where I, no, was it junior high? No, I think it was freshman year of high school. So I came out in junior high to everybody because I felt like I had to. Um, and I had actually tried to unalive myself in junior high, but it didn't work. So I said, all right, okay, fuck it. I guess that I'm, uh, I'm supposed to be here for something. So I'll keep pushing. And then got bullied in junior high for literally anything I did. It felt like, um, then come freshman year, I finally liked a boy and I had talked to this boy for a couple months and we had hung out or maybe it was a couple weeks. I don't know. Timelines are strange in my head. Like I said, and we had talked whatever, and I was going to come out to my parents because he had a rough home life and could never come out to his parents at the time. And so I was like, I'll come out to my parents. We can hang out at my house instead of like, you know, walking everywhere and going to Dunkin' Donuts and shit. And I came out to my parents for him. And my parents' uh, reaction was, I would say pretty neutral overall, like not good, not bad, just pretty neutral. And after I told him that I came out to him, his response was actually, I don't like you. I just wanted somebody to feel as miserable as I had because his, his home life was pretty terrible as well. And, uh, yeah. So essentially he pretended to like want to be with me or at least that's what he said because he wanted somebody else to hurt the way that he hurt, which was also fucked up. And then the next person I liked was apparently in a relationship with somebody. And then both of them kind of mentally manipulated and abused me for like a whole year, my sophomore year of high school, and as well as being bullied. And around that time, my little cousin Gia was also diagnosed with leukemia, which was its own tragedy. Um, and so my entire family's focus shifted to her, right? But my mom at the same time was treating her like she was her own child, which is fine but it felt like she kind of forgot about the other one. You know, me. Because um, now Sophia was a baby and young and Gia was young and, and I think she was four or five when she was diagnosed. So everybody's attention shifted, but it felt like everybody kind of forgot that I was there. Like they acknowledged me, but I wasn't getting support. And on top of all the things that led up to that, I never felt comfortable with them. So I couldn't go to talk to them about the struggles of figuring out my sexuality or my identity or being bullied in school or cutting myself or trying to kill myself or um, depression, like none of that. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't go to any of them with that. So I went to go to friends and friends weren't as helpful either because obviously they're just as dumb at that age as I was. And I was under incredible pressure to be doing well in school. For example, I got, I was always told I was bad at math. And what math is my worst subject. I'm so bad at math. I never got below like an 85 in any of my math classes. <laughs> and I did really well in all of the regions and tests and everything. But yet I was I was held to such a high standard by my family um, because none of them had gone to college and et cetera, whatever. And then being bullied by friends and people in school and also being my own version of a disgusting predator of a man, boy, whatever, and all the things that had happened back then. Um... At one point, I made the switch, though, 
because I, I recognized, I think until I was about 16 or 17, I all I wanted to be was a kind person. And all I was was a kind, caring, and thoughtful person. Though my family would like to argue that I was selfish. I look back now and I realize that I wasn't selfish. I was just trying to take care of myself because nobody else was doing it. But yeah, at a certain point I made the mental switch in my head that I was like, you know what, fuck it. If this is how people are going to be treating me, then I'm going to defend myself. And so 16, 17 year me until 23 is that next chapter where I was a raging cunt. <laughs> and I was like, fuck it. If I'm going to be the villain, I'm going to be the best villain in the world. And so if you started with me, I came back at you. And uh, the, the, one of my friends, Rhonda, coined the term Twitter finger Greg after, like, I guess, Drake or whatever, uh, with his beef with um, Meek Mill, where I was getting into a lot of Twitter beefs and fighting with people in, in school for a lot of reasons. And I look back, and I'm sure somewhere I was wrong, but more often than not, those experiences were just me defending myself, where I would be bullied or attacked or whatever, instead of being the quiet, sweet kid who just went home and cried, I went back at people and they didn't expect that. And part of me is like, I really wish I didn't say some of the things I said because today I don't necessarily enjoy meeting being rude with being rude. Like I, I try to view it through the lens of empathy and very differently, but yeah, I became this absolute cunt bag and it was funny, but again, in, in a different way now, I was being the clown. But all of that kind of fell to the background because in 2013, um, things with Gia took a really hard turn. Um, and she unfortunately passed away at the age of nine. And the week like leading up to Gia's passing was something I don't think I could ever forget. Um, because... We, we had gotten a call that she was in the hospital, or maybe it was two weeks. Again, timelines are really strange to me now. But she was in the hospital, and she's not doing so well. And I don't know if it's just because they, like, didn't give me the full scope of how not well she was doing, but I was delusional, essentially. Um, she was in a coma, and all of my family from Florida had come up, and everybody was just there. We were all there every day. Um just praying and hoping that she would get better because she had always gotten better. And everybody was so broken. And I just kept saying, guys, this is Gia. She's going to be okay. She's going to be fine. And then we got the phone call to come back because that was really going to be it. And I remember standing in the room with, like, everybody... And uh, I heard the flat line and all I heard was my aunt scream and everybody else scream and cry. And everybody grabbed somebody. Like my cousin, like my cousin, my older cousin was grabbed by her dad. My, my aunts were grabbed by their partners or their mother and all the sisters. My mom and her sisters came together with my aunt. And I was standing alone in the corner. <laughs> And nobody, nobody came for me. And then I walked outside of the room because I just didn't know what else to do. And I tried calling my best friend and it 
didn't answer. I tried calling other friends and nobody answered. And I think I left the hospital at that point and like went to Starbucks or some shit and came back or something. I don't even remember fully. But yeah, in another moment where I needed people, nobody was there. So then it came time for us to like clean up the room and get our stuff and you know, the next couple of days were kind of a blur. And then it was the day that we were burying her. And that morning, me being a 17-year-old kid, my family decided that I was going to be a pallbearer, which for those of you who don't do Catholic or Christian funerals, you're carrying the casket. Um, decided that I'd be a pallbearer because they needed somebody strong enough. And that also, I'd be giving the eulogy because my aunt and uncle couldn't do it, understandably, because that's their daughter. And the rest of the family was too much of a mess, and I was the only one strong enough to do it, because I was good at acting and public speaking and whatever. And at 17, I got up on front of, in front of, I don't know, 100 people, because there was a fuck ton of people at her funeral, which was interesting. And I gave a speech that I didn't write beforehand, and was applauded. And the whole day and for days after, all I kept hearing about was from strangers, from family, from whoever it was, there was this teenage boy who gave this incredible speech and look how strong he is. And I'm going to say it again. I didn't want to be strong. I still don't want to be strong. It's fucking shitty. Strength is a curse and a blessing all at the same time. Excuse me, I'm trying to grab a tissue for myself. Because I didn't cry in front of anybody when Gia passed away. I would only go home and then literally hold my mouth to cry so nobody would hear me. Because I felt like I couldn't show weakness in front of them because somebody had to be strong for them. And while I know that that wasn't true, that's how I was made to feel. Um... And so I didn't even get to, like, grieve that process and, and grieve everything that happened until probably a year or two later. Like, I kind of just ignored it. And, um, yeah. So then I had to go into senior year of high school with all of that. Um, and then I, my parents wanted me to go to college, and I didn't want to go to college right away. I just wanted time. I knew, I knew in my gut as a kid, so I will praise myself for being smart, but I needed time to just have off. I was like, I want a gap year. I want to figure out what I want to be. And instead they forced me to. So I went away to school. And then over the summer, from senior year to college, I met my first boyfriend, um, Daniel. And for some reason, Daniel, you're listening. I hope you're doing really well. Um, and I'm so sorry for everything I'm about to say, because <laughs> I look at it much differently now, and we had a happier uh, closure moment and goodbye, but um, Daniel and I were both young, traumatized, and stupid, so we ended up hanging out and getting really close and falling really deeply for each other, even though at first he didn't want to admit it, and he kind of did this thing where... Honestly, if you want to know how I felt about him, go listen to the song What Kind of Man by Florence and the Machine. It kind of describes everything uh, perfectly. <laughs> but essentially this back and forth of like, are we or aren't we? Like, didn't want to commit, but also wanted me 
and he was the first person I had ever slept with, and etc. So then eventually I went to college, and Daniel went back to Israel, where he was from, to serve in the army. And uh, I remember one day he was talking to me, and was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't be here. He, the army was definitely not fit for him. And so he wanted to come up with a way to get out of it. And his idea was he was going to kill himself. He didn't want to die, but he figured that if he could kill himself, they would find him and resuscitate him and then discharge him for mental health reasons. Because if you do that, they, they can't give you a gun. And so he said, if, if you don't hear from me after a couple of days, I'm probably dead. So now, for a second... Think about yourself at 18. Forget all the things that happened to me before that. Think about yourself at 18, where you're in a... I went to school in Virginia, so I was essentially uprooted from all of my support system and all, and had nobody around me except for this one person that I was focused on. Um, and not knowing if that person you're in love with, the first person you're in love with, or even the person you're currently in love with now, imagine not knowing if they were alive or dead for eight days and what that would do to a person. I was crippled by depression, and shout out to my college roommate, Kenneth, because if it wasn't for him, I'm pretty sure I would have either killed myself or starved to death or something, because um, I couldn't, like, do anything. I couldn't even shower. Um, so then he did text me, and he was alive, and etc. I mean, you know, continued, and he'd come back and visit during the summer, and it was just the on-again and off-again thing of, like, me being loved in ways I didn't deserve and definitely deserved better. <laughs> But after Daniel, I decided to use sex as a coping mechanism, so I slept with hundreds of people in the next couple of years and put myself in some pretty dangerous predicaments, was sexually assaulted a couple more times um, by absolutely disgusting people, uh, and had lost friendships from high school of people who I thought were my friends, and it turns out they weren't because they weren't good friends, and etc. And then I started working at Starbucks, <laughs> where I was where I experienced homophobia, transphobia, and was gaslit from day one all the way up until the day I'd left. Uh, and I think then I had my second boyfriend where I was at school and I ended up moving in with him for a bit and then I left and then he would text me all the time about his relationship because he was still in love with me and whatever. Um, then I met my, my third boyfriend who was... <sighs> I was desperate, quite frankly. I just wanted love and... They wanted somebody to control, I guess. I don't know. It, that's a whole other story for a different day. But yeah, so all that happened. And then in 2019, I went to Europe by myself. And I think that's where like, I had my great awakening. Because I had did the thing that I was so afraid of. I couldn't spend time with myself up until that point. I couldn't take myself to a movie or dinner or do anything like I required to be around people all the time because I had such an incure, insecure attachment style from everything that had happened prior. And on that trip, I realized that I wasn't happy. And that I needed to do something to change that. And then the pandemic hit. And I went through a whole bunch of different trauma while working at Starbucks. Because working as an essential worker during during the pandemic and not knowing if you were going to die every day or get sick or bring that sickness home to your family just so somebody could have a fucking cup of coffee really did a number on me. So then I started therapy and I started working through my childhood stuff and the, the relationship that I had been in and the relationships that I had been in and whatever and 
all that brought me to uh, last year when I left Starbucks and had finally had better people around me and I had moved out from my home of, after more explosive like fights with my parents and, and watching my parents get my mom and stepdad get divorced which you know trauma with my sister and all this other stuff um, so yeah that's that's a very very brief because there's so much more in there that I could get into um, but that's a very brief synopsis of the life that I lived and now today I am very proud of who I am and I love who I am and I want to be who I am but my struggles are different because now all of those things that have happened still affect me today and I'm doing my best to unlearn the things that I learned and unlearn the unhealthy coping mechanisms and to learn to trust people and feel comfortable on my own and not have such an anxious attachment style but it's fucking hard and today I was writing about you know, being abused by my mom, as well as sexually abused by somebody in my family, and all these things, and I'm just exhausted, because then I wake up, and again, I'm berated by being a non-binary person in America, <sighs> and somehow I still am able to get myself up and go to work, and smile, and laugh, and have fun. Um, which isn't a miracle of itself, but I just wanted to take time to talk about all of this. Uh, just share my story a bit as to where I come from and where I got here, because this podcast I started with the idea of exploring feelings, because I feel often that we forget feeling, or we neglect feeling when we want to supplement logic and of course logic has its place but feelings aren't necessarily logical all the time and neither are our experiences if logic was the only thing that happened none of those things that i just talked about would have happened to me because those are illogical but they did and so i'm stuck here with the feelings instead and if i'm going to dive into feelings of other people and ask them all these really personal questions about death or love or sex or religion or whatever figured I should dive into myself a bit for once and quite frankly I think I, I've, I've learned a lot about myself while sharing this because I've told these stories a whole lot but I've told them while somebody else was listening and this is the first time I think I've had to sit and listen and I've caught myself a couple of times while trying to record this episode invalidating my own experience and <laughs> trying to tell myself that I shouldn't feel this way or whatever and I'm I'm always conscious of again the privilege of things that I have had in this life while at the same time it doesn't mean what I experienced wasn't painful or that I'm not allowed to feel hurt because that is just another version of a voice from my childhood telling me to not cry or to not feel a certain way or that what I'm feeling is normal and Honestly, even if it is, it shouldn't be. No one should feel this way. So, I feel a bit better, honestly. But I have so much more to learn and grow from. And uh, yeah, I think one of the things that I'm working on at the moment, especially is to not be such a people pleaser 
that I don't need to, because my whole life I was convinced that if I was just nice to people or I did things for people, which I've learned recently is just a different form of manipulation. It's just the sugar-coated one. Or if I did these things for people, I would like them. And then eventually I stopped doing people-pleasing tactics, but then imposter syndrome came into play because I was like, oh, well, what if I'm just doing these things? And blah, blah, blah. What if I'm not a nice person? What if I'm a terrible person? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a terrible person. A terrible person wouldn't end up this way. Or maybe I was, and I ended up this way because I, by choice. I don't fucking know. We'll figure that out in the end. And Or maybe you look at me and you think I'm a terrible person because I've hurt you, and I think that's valid too. Because in reality, there's no good or bad. We're all just people doing our best. Obviously, bigotry aside and, like, etc. Um, but we've all done fucked up things, so... In an attempt to give myself more grace and forgiveness, I will continue i will continue to be strong but i will also continue to be weak and give myself moments to break and to cry and to feel things and etc and i'll do my best to not feel like a burden and i will do my best to continue to find people who love me for me and to end today's episode i thought i would read you guys a poem because i really want to get back to sharing my poetry and hopefully it leaves you with a bit of a lighter feeling at the end than a lot of this episode. I wrote this the other day, actually, before I committed to sobriety for a bit, uh, while I was on mushrooms and hanging in a hammock. Looking up at the clouds, stars, and a tree, unsure of who I most envy. So I reminisce on the history of how they made me until my gaze is met with a vision. You. I can see myself in everything around me, but when my eyes meet your smiles, all I can see is a future. My heart's capacity to love has been expanded in a moment that feels like forever. What a blessing to be infinite and somehow made to feel like more. Even in the absence of your presence, I still feel your heart on my chest, your teeth on my neck, your taste on my tongue, and suddenly I'm reframing what I see in the clouds, the stars, and the trees. Set history ablaze and hold me in the warmth of the flame, though it holds no candle to you. I find my mind exploring death lately. Fear feeds itself sometimes, so I close my eyes and remember death is inevitable, but I'll run from it as long as I can because I've finally tasted what it's like to be alive. That, it might be a bit clear as to what that poem is about, um, but I, I really enjoyed it and I wanted to read as well to give myself a kinder look at my writing as I was kind of viciously picking it apart earlier. But thank you all for listening. Uh, I will have more episodes out soon, and I'm done promising a date. But I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I will see you soon. Bye. Mm-hmm.